We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. <laughs> How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for the 300th episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, boy. So, if I'm being honest, and you know I'm always honest with, with everybody who listens to this show, um, part of my disappointment in... New York's loss to Orlando uh, the other night was not only because it was a massive game for them and it would have been really, 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 really freaking cool to have a 500 team in New York after 30 games, um, but because it would have been really cool to have this episode drop when uh, they had kind of cleared that hurdle, um, a hurdle that it seems like it's been forever since they have been able to really clear where it feels like, oh my God, this team is real and it's legit and it's the whole thing. Um, but I was thinking about it a little bit and that would not be, that would not be appropriate for this podcast um, because of where this podcast came from. And, you know, I think I've probably... It, mentioned this on the show or implied it or I don't know, wrote about it in a newsletter or something. But, you know, the only reason the Knicks Film School podcast happened is because um, the host, me, is <laughs> someone that, you know, was kind of um, wandering about in the wilderness of life for the better part of 35 years and didn't ever really um, 
find his way and decided, hey, you know what? Screw it. Um, let me let me use this extra time that I have on the train every day to uh, write about the Knicks. And then that turned into a podcast. And then one thing led to another. Um, so I guess it's a little bit appropriate because life never happens. Uh, my, what's my dad saying? I, not my dad saying. It's a saying that he uses. Life is uh, what happens when you're busy making other plans. Well, uh, the Knicks Film School podcast is what happens when um, I was busy making other plans, I guess, as it were. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's appropriate that things aren't perfect uh, as as this episode drops. Um, but you know what? We, we take it as it is and we make the best of it. Um, and I hope uh, it doesn't diminish anyone's enthusiasm for this episode because obviously you've, you've seen the title. Um, you know who is coming up. Um, I, so, uh, two very, very quick things. Um, one, I mentioned on, at the end of the very end of the episode that, uh, Mike Breen, I tell him, I'm like, you know, you're, you're one of, one of three people that if I could have an interview with anyone in the world, um, that it would be, and he is absolutely one of them. And I could do, I'm probably going to, if I did another three or 300 or 3000 interviews on this show, I'm probably never getting the other two people that I would want to interview. Um, because one is Pat Riley. Um, I don't think he's available. Um, and the other is Patrick Ewing, which I guess maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't say never with Patrick Ewing. Who knows? Maybe Patrick Ewing decides he wants to, he wants to grace the pod with his presence one day. Um, but that's how big of a deal Mike Breen is to me. I know that's how big of a deal is Mike Breen is to a lot of people. Um, he is, he's an institution. He is, he is the voice of the Knicks. I, I mean, there's no, and, and of course, as you'll hear, he's deferent to, or he shows deference to somebody else when he talks about, you know, his role and in, in his place in the history of this team and in broadcasting and everything. But I think for a lot of us, you know, when we think of the Knicks, we think of Mike Breen. Um, and then the other really, very quick story I want to tell, I reference it quickly on the pod, how we had met uh, briefly and he, well, I'll just tell the story. So as a lot of you know, um, I was writing for Nick Sports Illustrated for a while before um, <laughs> Nick Sports Illustrated went the way of the dinosaur. And uh, as a result of my writing for them, I got to go and cover games in person. And the second game that I covered, I saw... Mike, um, and he was having a conversation with someone and it was, it was shortly after our Thanksgiving drive that we had run, um, at KFS and he had made, um, I mean, screw it. I guess I could say it now he had made a massive donation, like really above and beyond. It was like a 10th of the total money that we brought in. Um, I don't want to say what the exact number is, but it, it just beyond, Beyond generous and did it anonymously, obviously. The only reason I knew it was him is because I got the emails of for, you know, anytime someone donated, it said who the person's name was. And I, I would have said, oh, this is someone just putting his a fake name, um, except for the amount of money that it was. So I knew it was him. And so I was like, okay. If I, if there's ever a chance for me to go up and talk to Mike Breen, this is going to be it. Let me, let me go and say thank you for the donation that he made. So I kind of sidled over 
um, you know, how you, you know, like when you're in college and you don't know how to approach a girl at a bar, you just kind of go over in the general area and you hope that she looks up at you. And then, I don't know, you think that like a, a Cupid is going to come out of the ceiling and, and shoot both of you an arrow. I, I don't know. But like you go in the general area, which is what I did. I went in the general area of Mike Breen and I was just like hoping he looked up and I saw him look up and I looked over there and I just instantaneously, I was like, uh, Mike, can I once? And he's like, oh, John, hold on one second. And I didn't realize, of course, that he had someone that he was waiting to talk to after he had finished the conversation that he was in. But of course, at that point, and I, um, he, he, I realized he knew who I was. So of course I was, I was, you know, crapping my pants. Um, so I waited all the while thinking, oh my God, what am I going to say to Mike Green? And I, I, he finished his conversation. So I walked over and before I could even get the words out of my mouth, uh, thanking him for the donation. He just goes into this whole thing about how he loves, you know, what we're doing at, at KFS and all the spirit that myself and, you know, other people in, uh, in, in Nick's bloggerdom and, and Twitterdom and all that, like just saying just so much kind things. He had, he mentioned that he had read something that I had written and, um, he had no reason to do that. And he took the time and it, it, you know, when you do, when you hear people described as the type of person that when they talk to you, you feel like you're the only person in the entire room. Well, we were in Madison square garden. And for those couple of minutes, I felt Mike Breen made me feel like I was the only person in Madison square garden. Um, and I can't imagine how many, you know, dozens of, of people he does that for on an average game day, if not hundreds. So aside from him being just an absolute institution and, you know, one of the most legendary broadcasters of all time, a Hall of Famer, obviously, um, he's just an incredible human being. And uh, it was really an honor to to get to do this. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, and but he's also not the only person on this episode, because for as much as, uh, you know, Mike Breen's little bit of inspiration um, was very meaningful to me. And as much as my uh, kind of not having found my way in life was a reason this podcast happened, the real reason this podcast happened. And this I definitely have said before uh, is because of Jeffrey Ballone the original Nick's film school. So um, I talked to him at the end of the episode and we kind of, you know, reminisce a little bit um, on, on some stuff. And that was as is always the case with JB, who I can now say without question is one of my very, very dearest friends in the world. And I don't um, forget about what he, what he has meant to me as a, a content creator and someone who, who gave me a chance, you know, way back when, um, you know, he's just the best friend in the world. So uh, thanks to JB as well. Uh, and also very quickly, really, really, really have to, I know I did this, I think a couple of months ago towards the end of the year, but just we have, we really do have a team now and that team, the, the, the captain of that team is the person who produces this podcast. And that is Andrew Claudio, um, who is coming up on a hundred episodes uh, of final scores. So worth celebrating in his own right. Uh, definitely check that out. If you haven't, um, the final score podcast or me, actually, no, there's final score. I, I don't want to no, know the final score. 
Sorry, Andrew. I apologize. Um, he is a he's a better podcast host than me. Um, but because it's the Knicks and there's so many crazy Knicks fans out there, um, you know, this this podcast has kind of blown up a little bit. But a huge reason that it has blown up is because of him, because he's been producing it for a year and a half now. And it's just uh, I, I don't know where where I would be and, and where it would be without him. So thank you, Andrew. What can I say? You're welcome. Of course, thank you to Jeremy uh, Cohen, my co-host on Sundays. Um, I'm very proud to say that I have been on every one of these 300 episodes, but starting, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, I'm going to be letting Jeremy take take a little bit more of the reins um, as I my wife is uh, about ready to about ready to pop. Um, so my life is going to become even more hectic, uh, soon, but yeah, I, you know, obviously I'm not going anywhere. Where the hell would I go? Um, but yeah, you're going to probably hear a couple episodes coming up where it's just Jeremy, uh, doing an interview or something. Uh, Chris Persiain and also a big shout out to him. He's, he's been a huge help doing the mailbags and, uh, helping me out with social media and everything. So it, it's an amazing team. Um, very lucky to have it. And most of all, more than anything, I am very lucky to have you out there uh, listening. Um, and I, I know I, I do this again. <laughs> I do this a lot, but it's just I, I don't I don't think I could ever properly express my thanks and gratitude for literally every person who takes the time to listen to even one of these podcasts, because I, I you know, um, I just don't. I, I, I just don't know why I am the lucky one who gets to do this. And, um, I appreciate everybody. Uh, so, um, shameless plug cause Andrew will yell at me if I don't, if you like the episode, if you like any of the episodes, uh, rate us, review us the whole thing. And, uh, I'll, I'll stop filibustering here. Let's get to my interview with the voice of the New York Knickerbockers, Mike Breen. Mike D'Antoni won't call timeout and let the Raptors set up their D. The crowd on its feet here at the Air Canada Center. Lynn puts it up, bang, Jeremy Lynn from downtown, and the Knicks take the lead. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, I could spend the entire episode uh, reading uh, this individual's accolades, but I'm fairly certain you're going to want to hear him instead of me talk about him. So I will just start off by saying two things. Um, NBA Hall of Famer, and Fordham graduate. We have one of those two things in common. I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> um, the voice of the Knicks, Mike Breen. Hi, Mike. Hello, Jonathan. First off, congratulations on episode number 300. I, I, I did not come bearing gifts. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, But it's a, it's a pleasure to be on. I, I told you this when I saw you. I love uh, I loved your passion for the Knicks. I loved your knowledge of the game. And I've, I've really enjoyed your work and in covering the team that we both love. And, and that love, uh, thank you for saying that, uh, that love is so evident um, when you do what you do. And to me, when I listen to you, it's not just love for the Knicks. You have a love of this sport that I think is, it's kind of like a love for a person that you have for a, a, a you know, a, a loved one. Um, when did you first get that? Well, I, I grew up in a, in a family of six boys and my father uh, was a huge sports fan, so sports it was not an option. It was a way. <laughs> it was a, a way of life, and we played everything. And for some reason, 
you know, you, it's hard to explain, uh, but basketball just grabbed me. And, and it was always, for me, it was always the team aspect that I loved. I mean, obviously, individual talent uh, was fantastic, uh, but and maybe I can blame this on the 1970 Knicks. There was nothing to me more beautiful in sports than when five guys worked together and they could beat anybody because they worked together, regardless of how much talent or size or ability the other team had. So I think that's when it really first started. But ever since I was uh, a little boy, I loved all sports and I still do, but basketball is the one that's in my heart. So your journey um, as an announcer, at least, well, actually I should ask at Fordham, did you watch a ton of Fordham basketball? Because I will admit I did not when I was there. <laughs> well, I went, one of the reasons I went to Fordham was because of the reputation of the, the college radio station, WFU. Sure. So that's why I went and I went to, I went to almost every Fordham game, um, men's game that I could. And if it wasn't home, there was a whole bunch of us. And that included Michael Kay. Yeah. Um, of course, he's my, my, my best friend in college and, and a number of other guys as well. Charlie Slows is a really good broadcaster. Um, we would travel. We would drive to all the road games because we were hooked. And they were good. My years there, they were good. That was a Tom Penders era mm-hmm. where they were an NIT team every year. So uh, I, went to a, I went to a lot of Fordham games. Uh, so after that, obviously, you, you went to Marist. You first kind of got your, got your wheels under you there. That was the, those were the Smiths years. I just want to make sure, right? Yes, yes. Well, Rick Smiths was there, and it was uh, it was the biggest game in town. It was wonderful. Uh, Dave McGarity, who just retired, who was a great, great college coach for over four decades. He was one of the coaches when I was there. It was it was really fun. There was a building called the McCann Center. I think it held about thirty two hundred people. That's not bad. Oh, it was nice. It was it was perfect for for that program and that conference, and it was packed. Every Rick Smiths game was packed. It was the place to be in Poughkeepsie, New York. During the 90s, I have to ask, was there ever any um, playful trash talk when you were calling the games and Smith was involved in those Pacers series? No, no, no. He was he's too nice a guy and was great back then. By the way, when I did Maris games, Jonathan, uh, I wasn't the play-by-play guy. I was the analyst. They had yes. a long-time play-by-play guy. His name was Dean Darling. That's his great real name. name. And uh, I learned so much from him by sitting next to him and watching how he handled play-by-play on television. Uh, it was a great learning experience for me. He was a, he was a terrific announcer and, and uh, it served me well down the line. So, well, you could say that again. Uh, now we're talking, it's been, you know, over 30 years. Um, I want to start to tie together, you know, your beginnings and, and this current team. I was thinking, I was watching the game last night and um, we're, we're recording this today after they just had a tough loss in Miami. The refs, by the way, I, I know you are too kind to say anything. I will say it. It was, that was not a kind job by them. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I even a couple of them. Uh, I was I was perplexed by a couple of them. And the Randall know, one, you you were you called out, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, it's one of the things I love about Tom Thibodeau. Although he bit his tongue last night, he never uses that as an excuse. No. Um, so I'm watching there, and they show Pat Riley, and I'm I'm thinking about obviously we're going to do this interview, and I'm like, wow. You know, you got started calling the Knicks games on WFAN in 1992, and Pat was there, and Jeff was there. And within a few years, Tom would be there as well after Pat obviously left. And now here we are all these years later, and you got Pat down in Miami. You call games with Jeff for ABC. um, And we got Tom as the head coach of the Knicks. Have you, you know, stopped at any point this year and kind of looked around and been like, man, that's this has been quite a journey over these last, uh, you know, almost 30 years. 
I, I'm not saying this to be corny, uh, but I think that all the time. Uh, it's this is beyond my wildest dreams. It's more I've been more blessed than I deserve. And to be, you know, the announcer for the team that I grew up loving as a kid all these years and meeting all these people. I mean, you mentioned those guys. I, I learned so much basketball from them, uh, especially Jeff, uh, because when I first started, Jeff was the assistant coach. And you don't have that as much time with the head coach as you do with the assistants, you know, especially when you're young and breaking in, you want to kind of get as much knowledge. And Jeff was so good in, in teaching me the game and just listening to him. And then when he became the head coach, just listening to his press conferences and how he dealt with the highs and lows. Um, and then a guy like Tom Thibodeau there, there was just a plethora of knowledge to soak up and, and I couldn't get enough of it. Um, but Riley was great. Riley was, he was very intimidating uh, for somebody like me when I first started. And I remember we had our first road game in Atlanta and the hotel that the team stayed in, you'd have to turn the corner and then you'd walk toward the elevators. Now I hadn't met Riley yet. Uh, this was the first road game. So I hadn't really met him yet. And I'm on the elevator ready to go upstairs. And all of a sudden he turns the corner and he comes, starts walking toward the elevator and he says, hold the elevator. And I'm thinking, okay, this is my big chance. I'm going to finally get to meet him. I'm nervous about it. And I went to press the door open, but instead I hit the door closed. And I mean, as right as he walks up to the elevator, it practically closed on his nose and I'm riding up the elevator thinking, that's it. I, I'm never <laughs> I'd be fired. Um, but to show you the kind of person Pat Riley is, um, you know, I would do a pregame radio interview with him. Yeah. And um, it would, you'd go back to him in his office and his office was all, always dimly lit. So it, it was almost like you were seeing somebody that didn't want their, their face to be seen. Now he was great. He gave great answers. But there was no small talk. You went in, you did the interview, and you left. So I didn't have a lot of interaction with him, even though I learned so much from him just by listening to him. So I wasn't even sure if he knew my name. And the season ended that year. And about a week after the season, I got a letter at my house, a handwritten letter from him, thanking me for the professional job that I did and being a part of what they accomplished. I was just, just blown away. Um, and that's, that's the kind of people that I've been around for, for all these years that just that, that teach you so much and, uh, and, and, you know, just make it all happen for you. So you are clearly so appreciative, which is, um, because of course you are, because you're Mike Breen. Um, I want to actually flip that on its head and I, I just, do you ever stop and, and realize to yourself that you are more beloved by this fan base of people, then I, 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 I will go ahead and say it. Then any broadcaster broadcasting any games um, in this country or anywhere, does, does that ever be like permeate or do you not allow yourself to think about that? Well, first off, you, you've clearly lost your objectivity <laughs> by being a Nick fan because, I mean, let's face it, every, every team – has that announcer that's been around a long time um, that they love. And, and that's, I was the same way. I mean, Marv Albert to me will has been and will always be the greatest basketball play-by-play voice of all time. So for me, he was the guy listening to, and um, you know, it just, you, you, you tend to feel like at least uh, what I hope for is you tend to feel like you want the fan base to think that you're one of them. And, and I've always felt that way because I, I was a Nick fan. And I'm sure that fans get mad at me sometimes for uh, whether I'm praising a player they don't like or I'm criticizing a player that they love that happens. 
Uh, can I tell you another story about how a fan helped me one time? Please do. I left, I left the garden one day, and this was during a couple of really dark years where they've been really brutal. And, you know, although I don't like to, to take out the hammer when I criticize, you, you have to criticize and you have to be objective. I think that's what Nick fans really want. It is. I was uh, fairly on a stretch of just being heavily critical because they were just playing so poorly. And I'm walking out of the garden and a young fan came up to me. I'd say he was probably about 30, very well dressed, was in a suit. And he comes up to me and he says, why do you hate the Knicks? And I looked at him, I said, hate the Knicks? Are you kidding me? I've been in love with the Knicks since I was about eight years old. He goes, well, all you do is you, you kill them on the air night after night. And I said to him, what do you want me to do? I, I said, it's, they're bad. They, they're, they don't sometimes play with the effort defensively. They're, they're not there. I said, I, I can't praise them. And he goes, oh, he goes, I get it. I know we're a bad team. He goes, but I watch almost every single night. He goes, you don't have to hit me over the head with it on every possession. And you know what? It, it, it really gave me uh, food for thought and that, you know, the, the, the fan base that I'm broadcasting to on many nights, especially when the team's bad and only the diehards are watching night after night, that I have to think about them and that as bad as they are, yes, I have to criticize, but at the same time, you know, talk about the one or two positives from that night, whether it's the rookie who got off the bench and scored six points in garbage time, or it's another player who hadn't hit a three-pointer in, in three weeks and he finally hit two in a row, you know, things like that. Uh, and it was a great lesson from a fan, from one of us, who, uh, who told me, hey, I get it, but just think about the people that are out there watching. So um, as much as I, I hope the fans like what I do, uh, I love the fans. I love the feedback from the fans. And that's the thing that I miss the most through this whole pandemic is, is not being able to, to see the fans and talk to them before the game. Um, every once in a while, I, I like to get there before the fans get in. I mean, I'm there always before the fans get in. Yeah. But I like to go up into the stands and sit in the seats somewhere up a little bit higher and watch the fans come in. And the excitement that, that I used to have when I was a fan and would go to the Garden to just remind me of what it means for a Nick fan to come to the game in the Garden and, and, uh, and see it. And it's a great reminder for me on what the team means to fans, fans like you, fans like me, and for the fans that, that, that pay that kind of money and, and, and sit home and watch game after game after game. It's the most incredible fan base in sports. I know I'm not objective there. And um, I don't know if you heard that they're going to allow fans in at the end of the month. If, if I'm allowed to, I don't know if I probably can't for social distancing. I might try and hug each of the 2000 fans who are allowed in that first game because I miss them way more uh, than I ever thought. Well, I was going to ask, what has it been like for you just to announce in a fairly empty building? That must be strange, right? It, it is. It's I, I don't I don't like it because, you know, I've always used my 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 style, my call. I, I like to feed off the energy of the crowd especially at the garden and the first couple of games now down in the bubble was different. It was kind of yeah. like a Hollywood set that they, they had <laughs> built and it was beautiful. They, they did a great job. Obviously the Knicks weren't there, but the first game we did at the garden with no fans, it just, it just didn't seem right. Um, you know, once the game gets going, you, you have the energy because you're watching these great players play and you get fired up because it's the game that you love so much. But, uh, you know, two minutes before the game, there's no fans. You're looking around like, where is everybody? And then when the game's over or big shots hit, um, it's, it's just not as fun without them. And even 2,000 fans, I think, are going to make it so much better.
I, I think it will too. Um, you brought it up before, so I have to ask about this because there, you know, I have league pass like a lot of people listening and I flip around and there are a lot of announcers out there that are great announcers, um, but they're homers. And I don't think they try to hide the fact that they are, they are homers. Uh, we just lost obviously maybe the greatest homer ever in, in Tommy Heinsohn, um not long ago. And he was fantastic. And that's, that was part of his, his shtick, right? You have never once to me, at least, come off as a homer, but at the same time, and with all due respect to the fan that you mentioned in the story before, um, I don't think you've ever come off as overly harsh. I think you tow that line perfectly. And I was going to like, are you, as you are announcing games, are you cognizant of trying to, to kind of tow that line? Well, I think again, every market is different, Jonathan. Uh, some markets, some fan bases, they want you to be, rah-rah and everything protein and that's what they want their announcers to do that's what their bosses tell them to do um so you know i get it and in some some cities that's what the fans want but growing up watching the knicks and being a knick fan i never wanted that i never got that from marv i mean i I took my lead from marv on that marv was objective about the team that he was broadcasting for and he got it from marty glickman um so that's kind of that's the way I was brought up uh, calling the games. But at the same time, I think most Knicks fans know I, I want the Knicks to win every night. Uh, mm-hmm. I do, but I have to, from a, from a professional standpoint, I've got to call it um, in an objective way to, to tell the truth of what's going on. And, you know, I, I like uh, that the fact that you feel I don't, I don't really go after people, but I've always, I've always gone by, um, the way I've thought about it is I won't say anything about a player on the air that I wouldn't say directly to his face. And and I think that's the way. And I think sometimes not a lot, but sometimes uh, I think some of the the media, whether it's writing, whether it's broadcasting can be a little cruel. There's two ways to say everything. You can, you can say a guy, boy, he is brutal tonight. Awful. He shouldn't be allowed to play. Or you can say, wow, he's, he's really struggling tonight. This has been a nightmare. This, you know, you say the same thing. One way, it's you're just taking, you know, taking shots at a guy to make yourself like, oh, I'm a tough broadcaster. I can go after people. You're doing it the same way where you make the point without being disrespectful. And I think sometimes uh, some people get a little disrespectful in their criticism. Sometimes that's their job and they don't want to do it. And if that's their style, I'm fine with that. But that's not the way that, that I choose to do it. Um, and I am thankful. And, and I speak for many others when I say I'm thankful for that. Um, a couple more. You've been so generous with your time. Uh, this year, you have not had to be as critical as in some years past. This has been a fun one. I know they're only, as we're recording this um, right now, they're 11 and 15. It has, from afar, felt different than some other years in the past. And the only um, thing that I can really reference in terms of the effort that they're coming out and playing with every night is those Van Gundy years, is those Riley years. Do you get the same sense that this team has a little bit of that in them? Oh, more than a little. Um, they've got it. And and it's, you know, I mean, Jeff was a disciple of Riley and and Tom's a disciple of Jeff and, and they're all together. And it, it was not a surprise. I was, you know, there were a number of candidates that may have been terrific, but I thought at, at this particular time, Tom Thibodeau was the perfect coach for a franchise that needed to show, okay, we're a professional basketball team that's going to compete every night. He has never, ever been uh, a guy that makes excuses. Even when he was in Chicago, Minnesota, yep. um, if he had three starters out, 
he still went into that locker room before the game and told his team that uh, they have a chance to win tonight. They can win with what they have. He's always believed that. And that's a belief that he passes along to his team. And the other thing, and this goes back to what Jeff was like, it goes back to Pat Riley, the importance of practice and the importance of repetition and the drills. And they are as prepared every single night. And they, that's the, the thing that's been amazing is they have a chance to win every night as long as they play together and they play for each other. And he does that by pounding it into him day after day after day. I can't remember. It may have been either, either Randall or Peyton who said after like the first two weeks of camp, if we're not running the play exactly the way he wants, he'll Peyton. do it a hundred times. It was Peyton. And yeah. that's, okay. That's what makes, that's what makes it happen. That's what makes it work. And, you know, he said the first day, the first thing he said to him is if we practice well, we're going to play well. And you can just see it. You can see in the confidence in the players. You can see confidence in the game plan. Um, and I, I just, you know, I just love to see a team that's so well coached. And the one thing I knew coming in that I, I didn't know what this team, this roster's potential was, but I knew whatever that potential was, they were going to reach that potential um, because he would demand it. And that's, you still need that. Now, some teams he might not be perfect for. But this team, I think he was because the veterans, the Randalls, who have never been to the playoffs, they want somebody to show them how to get to the playoffs. And they're at that point now. The younger players, you know, most younger players are just sponges. They want to absorb so much. So I think it was the perfect fit right now. Well, it's been enjoyable to watch. Um, It's been great to watch you and to listen to you. Uh, this next year is going to mark uh, 30 years that you have been calling Nick games. Um, I was looking up some of the other, the other greats of your profession. Um, and I couldn't help but, co- but think of, uh, maybe the greatest Vince Scully, uh, another Fordham guy, uh, did it for 67 years with the Dodgers. Uh, I have to ask, have you thought about like, you could keep going for a really long time and just, I don't ever want you to leave. And I, this is basically my plea to ask you, please never leave and <laughs> always continue calling Nick games. Have you thought about how much longer you want to keep doing this for? Uh, no, I'm not to that point yet. Uh, but I've said uh, a number of times, I'll call Nick games for as long as they'll have me because it, it really is a true joy for me. Um, it's like another family. It's, you know, not just the people in the organization, but it's, it's, it's the fans, it's the workers at the garden. And, you know, one thing for me that, that makes it so much fun is I work with a crew at the garden that is just off the charts. Most of us have been there, or at least the core have been there. Um, a lot of Nick fans don't know who Howie, they should know who Howie Singer is. He's the director, Spencer Julian. He's the producer. Um, those two guys are just as important of bringing Nick's basketball to the fans as any announcer. And I've been with those two guys for Howie with the entire time, for Spencer about 20 years and then, of course, there's Clyde, who I just, um, you know, to go from having a guy who was my idol growing up to be a lifelong friend. I mean, you just you don't make this stuff up. And everybody on the crew loves him, absolutely loves him. Um, and, you know, it just, it's, it's just a great group that we have together. Um, of course, Rebecca Harlow, the sideline. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, we're like a family and uh, it's fun to be around your family. Uh, you stole my last question. I was going to ask, is, is Clyde uh, the coolest person that you've ever met or is he just the coolest person in the history of people? Um, but that's probably an unfair question. Uh, he's, bo- he's probably both. Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing was 
when we first uh, met, I, I was so nervous, but people don't understand this. And again, this is 30 years ago. Clyde was a little on the introverted side, you know, on the air, he, he's flamboyant, but he's, um, you know, he's guarded as, as any player who achieves that kind of status um, can be, but he has, you know, he, he's, once you get to know him, he's just the, the most warm, friendliest person who, uh, who loves being around people. I think he's, he's embraced his role of who he is as a New York City sports star and a sports legend, as well as any pro athlete who's ever done it. Um, when I have friends come down to meet me after the game and, and they, you know, they're so afraid to meet Clyde, <laughs> he, he greets them with such warmth. Um, it's just, it's a blessing for all of us, for me to work with him, for our crew to work with him, and for the fans to get to have him because uh, he's just one of a kind. Well, um, we love Clyde. Um, we, we, we love this team. Um, but I, I, again, I feel comfortable speaking on behalf of Nick fans. Uh, we love you and we thank you. And uh, I just on a, I will say this in front of everybody on a personal note. Um, when we, when we met up, when, what was it? Gosh, time's been flying about a year and a half ago now. And I came and said hi to you in the garden. Uh, when you knew who I was, was the moment that I'm. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not wasting my time uh, doing all this silly vlogging and podcasting and whatnot. So uh, thank you for, for that. Um, and thank you for coming on here. Everybody, ha people have their like three dinner guests. I have like my three ideal podcast guests. I can now cross one off the <laughs> list. So um, thank you for, for coming on, really. Well, it, it's, it's my pleasure. Like I said, we're, we're brothers in Nick fandom. Uh, although it might not always seem it on the air. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Nick fan, just like yourself, like all the fans are. And uh, I love your passion and, and how hard you work at it and how much it means to you. And uh, it's been enjoyable reading you and watching you. So keep it up. And let's go for another 300. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, as is a time-honored tradition. Um, I, I imagine you were on episodes 100 and 200. I can't imagine why you wouldn't have been on those episodes. <laughs> um, Knicks Film School himself, forever and always, Jeffrey Ballone. Uh, <laughs> a shadow of Knicks Film School now, right? Really? Well, listen, you've moved on to bigger and better things. And um, I it's just it's staggering to me that you. So, here, here, look, you came up with the Twitter account. What has it been? Is it four years or is it more than four years? Geez, that's a good question. Did, what, 2018 around then? Did we start? 
2017? Well, no, I'm talking about the, the original, like when it was the Ron Baker video. Yeah, I think it was around that time frame, right? 2017, 2018. It was you're you're worse than with dates than me. At least 2016, if not earlier. It was summer. It was the summer before. I'm trying to convince myself I haven't been doing this that long. Well, <laughs> try try with somebody else because I have a I apparently I have a better memory than you. Um, but uh, and then you know the uh, the Twitter account, the website, and and then the newsletter, and now you got the Metropolitan with, you know, and, and Mets fix and you're, you're reinventing the game again. You have former players and front office execs writing for you. Like, what is this? This is craziness. <laughs> I needed something, you know, going from you writing for the Knicks stuff. I needed to come up with something good on the Mets side. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, you know, like I, I always need something, a new challenge, I guess I call it, but it was like, I don't know. I just need, I felt like I needed a different topic to wrap my mind around. And baseball is great for that because there's so much data. There's so much stuff. I mean, you could spend years yeah. like going through, you know, different iterations. So, so yeah. Well, that's why it, basketball is good up. for me because I have a simple mind and I could just focus on like a couple of things. Your mind is probably better suited for baseball. For <laughs> well, no, the thing though, it is interesting now. It, um, you know, when I come back eventually to write some more Nick stuff is, you know, I did the film breakdown. I didn't actually do a lot of like advanced stats, which I look at a little bit more now, obviously for baseball, but I think it's because basketball, it's just different. It's funny. It's better for the film than baseball is. So to do like Mets yeah. film school is kind of tough, but some of the stats, like, you know, there's different things people are doing to look at, like how you can prevent three pointers and how much you, yeah. your defense has to say in that. But it, there's just not as much like individual data points to, to build up. It's funny. I was thinking of you um, yesterday when I was writing the, my uh, Julius Randall all-star case uh, newsletter. And um, I was on basketball reference and I was looking up a uh, VORP and uh, <laughs> uh, what, what is it? B BPM and RPM and all this other nonsense, you know, but it, it, I, I don't think, I don't think basketball is to the point yet where baseball is because like, you know, you have a, you have a guy like Randall who's like 10th in two of those categories. And he's like 69th in another category. And like, these things are ostensibly looking at the, the same stuff. Um, yeah. It's, it's been, um, it's been quite a journey. We're recording this on what Wednesday spring training open today. So that's yep, fun. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and the other thing I was thinking about too, because I don't want to make people think who haven't seen the Mets fix stuff, it, it's all like advanced stats because it's really not. Oh no, you wrote about Goodfellas the other day. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I think what it is is more. It's more speaking to for me. Like for instance, the biggest thing right now in baseball research is all about uh, like the spin of a pitch and basically how do different things impact how the ball moves. So I'm watching the Knicks game the other night and I'm thinking about like with Randall, like shooting, a, you know, shooting what seven, three pointers he made. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it, it'd be funny. Like in basketball, you're not, you might look at the, sh the form of the shot. Right. But you yeah. don't have like data to say, you know, Oh, the ball is like spinning differently out of his hand. But I guess what I'm getting at is like, it's interesting because, like with Randall, and I'm interested even in your thoughts with him, it's like, it's, it's not as easy as in baseball to say, okay, well, I can look at this pitcher's fastball and I can tell based on its spin rate why it's performing better this year. Where in basketball, it's a lot more of how does this person kind of fit 
in yeah. this cohesive unit. And maybe he's shooting pretty similar to how he shot before, just this year, for some reason, they're going in. I, it's, it's a little different when you think about it. I think the reason why, uh, so as you know, I'm not that smart. I, pr- I act like I'm smart really well. I am the best person at acting like I'm smart in the entire world. I think world. that's no, better than being smart. <laughs> I think, it, I mean, it's got me this far. So um, what was I going to say? So, uh but I'm so that's why I like basketball, because for me, there is like there's just an unexplainable magic that happens when a team comes together in a certain way and things just like work. now, look, did Randall's offseason preparation have a lot to do with why he's playing better this year? Absolutely. And did his better? You know, I think it could be as simple as that. That's why he's making more shots. Maybe he practiced more a certain way in the offseason, whatever. And maybe that had a had a trickle down effect with the rest of the roster. But I think a lot of this is just like there's it's just like good vibes right now hey, in the locker hey. room with whatever, you know, Tibbs has done and like the accountability, you know, like all the stuff we always talk about on here, um, you know. And but, that's, by the way, what makes basketball fun. Right. So to yeah. me, I'm explaining the difference in terms of research. But then to me, oh, look, I have my Mets of, cup that I'm drinking. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> But um, in terms of like watching it, I think that's actually why some a lot of people get turned off by baseball is they feel like there's so much, you know, if, if you dive into the deep stuff, there's so much of the numbers stuff going on. It's hard to make sense of. And you don't get as much of the story like we're getting with the Knicks this year, right? Where, yeah, you have these magical teams that obviously come together in baseball. But I guess what I'm saying is like there's just more of that cohesive where you're requiring a unit to come together. You're not individual at bats, individual pitching performances. You are a unit of five and how you work together will dictate your success. And those were the the famous Knicks teams in the late sixties, early seventies. That's what everyone loved about them. They sort of defined before the warriors of modern times that let's move the basketball and do all these great things. Um, So that, that to me is what's fun about the sport. Yeah, and even if you look at like the two teams, like look at the twelve thirteen team they had that won fifty four games. Like they weren't supposed to win that many games that year, but there was something the mix of the vets and like how they played. And then they went into the following season, and I forget what the exact over under was, but it was a hell of a lot better than what they ended up turning out because right. there was something missing from the from the pot. Somebody forgot to put you know salt in the chili. Um, <laughs> Yeah. In any case. So, um, yeah, so you're, so you're doing that. You're, you're killing it. Um, things can do. Oh, I didn't even tell Do you know who you're, who you're, who this is coming on after? Cause I told you I'm tacking this on to the oh, end. Oh no, episode. I don't actually. You, do you want to know? Previewed. Yeah. Let's go for it. Uh, Mike Breen. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. Oh man. Was he awesome? Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Um, that's real cool. But just think about it. You, you, you messaged me and you're like, Hey, I'm doing this stuff for the Knicks wall. Would you want, would you want to come right for us? And now here it is, whatever, three years later. And, uh, you know, I got, I got Mike Breen on a, on a damn podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, no, that, is, that's awesome. It's been, it's been fun. It's been fun. I got, and I got a tip zoom coming up in, um, what half hour or so as we, okay, as we yeah. sit here and record this. Um, but, uh, well, thank you. That's what I want to say. That's really why I want to come on here. I, I want I wanted to thank you for giving this platform essentially to me, because um, this would not be happening without you. And uh, yeah, man, I, I miss the videos. That's all I, I will yeah, say. Yeah, no, that. I miss well, I miss doing stuff together because I think you know, like this week, 
you know, we were lucky at Metsfix to have, you know, some people promoted out. And it's always that excitement when you're starting yeah. something from the ground up. Yeah. And I have to say, I miss that it wasn't like I'm used to with something happening that that I'm creating. We've been doing it together. So I'm used to it sort of being like that. Yeah. This is something we share. It felt weird to have it without us doing it together like that. Um, I'm sure there's some saying about like in order to grow in order to grow together, you must grow apart or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I <laughs> yeah. There, now, now we're getting into real, the good thing this is way at the end of the episode. Everyone turned it off after Breen was done, right? Um, but w- w- we got to do, I guess, a little Nick commentary before I go. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do a little bit. Um, so, we're, again, they're, they're playing in a couple hours from now against Orlando. I don't, you know, hope I hope they win against Orlando. Orlando's two and eight in their last 10 games. Um, that would be a, this would be a bad it's weird to say, right? That this would be a bad loss bad for the loss, Knicks. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's if you want to encapsulate the Knicks season, right? It, a team that was picked to to win fewer games than any team in the league now is playing games against last year's playoff teams. I know they're injured, but and if they and on the road, and it would be a bad loss if they lost. Right. You know? right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Have you enjoyed watching this year's team? Yeah, and I mean, it is different too when you're not covering it the same way. Because I used to always say this to Emily, where it's like there, especially in the early going where I was doing the videos so intensely, there would be like this great moment that everyone who's a normal fan is like cheering and going nuts. And I'm like staring at my phone because I'm reacting about how I get the content out. Um, So it's nice to, you know, I'm still doing a little bit of of that for the Strickland account sometimes, but it's nice to be able to watch a game and just be like, I can just enjoy this. I don't, I'm not looking to create content but that said on the other side of it it's it's weird though too i almost feel like you know hopefully you're doing this forever but when you stop it's almost like it's hard you know it's like you know i almost feel like alcoholic sounds like a bad thing but a person who gets used to uh spiking a drink you then can't drink it doesn't taste the same you know if you Uh, brought gatorade as a kid to a concert or something (laughs) then you try to drink gatorade again it's not the thing because you used to always spike it well that's me a little bit with the knicks too where it's like it's just odd not to comment on it or not to you know i would feel that way if i had nothing to do um but like you're like you know i hope you're doing this forever i do not hope i'm doing everything that I'm doing right now forever, because I think I would die at 45 um, <laughs> because I just, yeah, I don't know. Someone, uh, Schwinn messaged me earlier. He's like, I could see the bags under your eyes during some of these post games. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I've actually stopped live tweet. I used to live tweet games like a madman. And this season I really haven't been doing that. I've just been, I usually send out like maybe a couple tweets during the game and then I'll take notes. This is what I'll do. I'll take notes on my phone about plays that I want to clip after the yeah, game. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah. But like, no, I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I still don't know how you would clip games and watch the game. And like that. Yeah, no, it, that's it, why it you're you. crazy. But what about with Randall then? I mean, what, what's your, you know, obviously I've seen a red, but I mean, he obviously, you know, we could talk about a lot of things that have gone well this year and quickly and excitement with all that and Tibbs and what he yeah. represents. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, Randall and, you know, independent about the whole all-star debate. It's just still of, you know, what does he represent now for this organization? I think that's, I think that has become the biggest, I think the question, the biggest question for the organization coming into the year was what is RJ Barrett's ceiling? And I think that the the question now is what is Julius Randall's ceiling and what does he represent for them? Because 
I think it's, I don't know, maybe it just happened on Monday night with the Atlanta game. At some point, though, in the last couple of weeks, it's changed over for me from like, oh, well, how do we, you know, what are, the, are what, you know, are we going to get a big trade offer for him? Or like, you know, is he worth, like now I think like, oh my goodness, this is a guy, I, I just don't, especially coming off the poor thing. I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't talk about these things in unison because they're, it's, you shouldn't let one thing affect the other. But coming off the Porzingis thing, which is the only thing you've had good happen to you since Patrick Ewing, now to have this happen, to not to, to not to just toss that away in whatever way you want to do it, I just I don't know something about that seems off putting to me. Yeah, and, the whole like sell high concept. I think I, we were probably thinking the same way for a while. You're like his contracts went from no one liking it to. His- really good because it's not fully guaranteed next year. Yeah. Oh, and then, well, but you know, forget that now. I mean, there's nobody in the league that wouldn't guarantee that. Yeah. Well, that no, right. Really. Exactly. Right. But yeah. so, yeah. So, but the point is it gives the team that, that option. And then, you know, the fact that he is um, still young, you know, I think that's the other thing. Like I was talking to someone the other day, or it was on a Mets podcast and you're asking me about the Knicks <laughs> and I said, are. young players, and I said, young players. And I think when I when you say that, everyone just thinks like Barrett quickly. But it's like, no, like Randall fits in the window. Like he is not a 30-year-old guy who's now having a late, you know, uh, resurgence to his career. Like he, he still has a, a, a wide window ahead of him. Yeah, and I've, I've looked into this, you know, last few weeks trying to find comps for what he's doing. It's like it's, he's not the only guy that has, has been a, a late bloomer, um, but – the number of guys throughout NBA history who have bloomed late and then become like, none of those guys have become like the centerpiece of a, of a, of a championship team, unless you want to go for like kind of oddball, like Chauncey Billups, like that weird Detroit team. Like other than that, um, even like Weber kind of blossomed late, but he was also an all-star in his like very early on in his career in Washington and then kind of fell off. So what Randall's doing is, you know, it's it's I don't it's not unprecedented, but in terms of the questions that the Knicks have to ask themselves now, I, I think. But the nice thing is you don't have to look at him in a vacuum because you, you had him happen and you have quickly happening. So I think those two things together have maybe and Tibbs. Uh, that's my reminder to check if I got my email for the uh, media <laughs> zoom. Um, those two things happening together with with Tibbs and like the culture and the whole thing. I think all of that is like, OK, you know, we could start to think about the organization and how they build it out a little bit differently. Now, I still don't envy them because he's still not the easiest piece to build around. And I think if you're really talking brass tacks, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, but you could also say it's, you know, if the decision is, do you sell high, meaning do you trade him? Then yes, the decision is now. But if the, dis- but if the decision is, is he a long-term centerpiece to your organization? The fact that you can just guarantee next season and have them for one full season, you have a whole year and a half before you would have to decide on that. You only have to decide now if for some reason you're like, well, we think this is the best he's ever going to be. We're going to get this unbelievable offer. So we're going to go for it. But otherwise you can literally just say, look, we we don't have to decide. We can ride this out for a, a year and a half and maybe add another piece next to him and see how he does with that other piece next to him. And then decide obviously if they're going to keep him long-term. Yeah, I, I guess maybe what I'm really what we're really saying is like, like they need to now start asking themselves, do we start to try to fit pieces around? Is he gets that yeah. good that we try to fit pieces around him? Even if he may not be ever the best player in a championship team, he's good enough to have earned 
uh, those conversations. So yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's well said. Um, anything else, anything else you want to, do you think they're making the playoffs? I think they will at this point. I mean, the way that it's so it's spread, right. Where there's what we like should a say game top, and a half. There's, there's top six and then there's the four yeah. play in spots. So, yeah. But I mean, you know, some reason I, I just think with Tibbs, they're going to find a way to do it. I think so. Too. They're going to get in. I have a funny feeling. I think I, I also, I could definitely see them making a move this season that also puts them in much better position to, um, you know, to get in. I think they're going to make a move. I don't, I think they're going to make a move. I don't know what it's going to be, but I think they're going to make a move. Um, uh, just to uh, put a cap on this, can you inform all of the folks who are certain they did not turn off after, after Breen, like they're still, <laughs> can you turn, tell all of them where to find uh, the Metropolitan and, and you and, and everything you're doing now? Yeah, I guess we're, we're confused, confusing with our names because we're the Mets Fix, but the newsletter is Metropolitan. Okay. But the easiest way is to just go to at Mets Fix on Twitter. The link is there to sign up. Similar to Nick's Film School, you got an email every weekday morning, uh, 8 a.m. it comes out, except this morning when we got breaking news at like 7.58 and we had to jam that in there. Um, but yeah, and then right now it's free. So just sign up. And, you know, if we have people who aren't Mets fans that have reached out and said they just enjoy it because – you know, like I was alluding to at the front, I'll try to just get into kind of broad topics of, of baseball as well. That obviously it applies to the Mets, but you can learn some stuff about, um, you know, different research going on or whatever. But uh, I thought it's, it's yeah. rekindled my love for baseball, which really has not been there the last several years. I'm now at least interested in it. And um, it, you make it very it's informative, but at the same time, it's extraordinarily easy to follow for someone who is not a baseball nut like me. <laughs> um, so it's great. And you have other, uh, I, you know, Bernard, my buddy is obviously a loyal reader yes, as well, yes, right. as I know you've talked to him. Um, all right, this was fun. Uh, hang out for a sec, everybody else. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast. And we will be back with you with episode, uh, 301 at some point very soon, uh, Monday as it were. Talk to you later. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.